welcome to another prime episode number 89 of the Postflop Poker Podcast, designed especially for the serious recreational player and brought to you by our good friends at Preflop Plus, the app, and helped along, as always, by our patrons at patreon.com forward slash postflop. A big shout out to our latest patrons, Paula Rasmussen and Sivert A. Gillison. I hope I haven't chopped that name up too much, but thank you, Sivert and Paula. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Merv Astro247 Harvey, joining you again from Josie and Whoopi, the Black Schnoodles place in Randwick, two miles from famous Bondi Beach and about five miles from the Star City Casino in Sydney. We're on the eastern suburbs of Sydney in Australia, and I'd like to introduce our regular co-host. He's a very busy, successful poker coach and a content provider for a number of various poker training sites. He's also authored a number of poker books. My favourite one is the one that this podcast is named after, Postflop. Originally from Manchester, England, with a mank, but apparently not manky accent. Joining <laughs> us again from Bangkok, Thailand, it's Mr. Ben Hales. How are you today, Ben? I'm good, thanks, Murph. Yeah, roaring, raring to go. Roaring? No, probably raring, I think. Uh, raring, maybe, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I looked up a, a bit of information about the word manky, so uh, we, we can get into that later. But so there's a little bit on Twitter for that you might want to catch up on, Ben. Um, we've got a very special guest today, uh, and he hails from Melbourne, Australia. After quite a successful trip to Vegas this year, he's just cracked the $1 million in live earnings mark. A big congrats on that one. And now finds himself in the top 50 all-time money winners from Australia, which I reckon is a huge achievement. Uh, recently gaining a piece of Twitter virality by becoming the videographer behind the now infamous Shoegate, <laughs> he, may, he may have a promising future in show business. With a beard that's big enough to have its own poll, a big welcome to the show, Dean Blatt. Thank you so much for having me on. Uh, that that uh, would be an intro worthy of Joe Ingram, I would say. Oh, oh, no, no. I don't know if I can go that if I don't. <laughs> I appreciate the compliments, but um, yeah. The, Thanks for having me on. Yeah, pleasure. Thanks for coming on. Uh, it's been, uh, you've actually been someone I've wanted to have on since since I saw you in uh, Aussie Millions in January. I thought, oh, I've got to get Dean on the show at some point. And, uh, and you just kind of made me notice. I must, must, must get you on after after you had this uh, wonderful time in Vegas, which uh, we'll talk on in a bit. But uh, I think first off, let's just. Um, I want to hear a little bit about how you got into poker. Like uh, you know, everyone's got this little story. Um, I'm going to guess yeah. that you were probably probably studying something at uni and uh, somehow came across poker and decided that was that was going to be it. Yeah, so I've actually been uh, involved in poker for quite a while. Um, I'm 31 at the moment, so I started playing maybe when I was 16, 17, just uh, home games with friends, um, always enjoyed games that had an element of skill, you know, mixed with luck. Um, I went to university, uh, studied commerce and law. I think I knew the whole way through that it wasn't really what I wanted to be doing. Uh, failed a lot of subjects because I was playing poker on the side. Uh, got through, like barely, and then uh, decided I wanted to take a year off just to pursue this hobby a bit more seriously. And uh, I think what happens with a lot of people, uh, I just, a lot of people that eventually go on to become successful in poker actually have a lot of luck in their early days. 
Um, I don't think I was very good the first year I played, but I just ran like God. I uh, I had a very, very good 2014, and um, then that sort of provided me the opportunity to, to pursue it, you know, a bit more seriously and keep going past that year. And it's uh, almost six years later and we're still doing it. Wow. That's fantastic. We've heard that, uh, that sort of story. Uh, before as well, I think where it's nearly compulsory that you you have a, a successful first year or so. Um, or yeah, <laughs> like I said, I, I don't think that I. I mean, I think I was an okay player. Uh, certainly, the standard back then wasn't as good as it is now, and I've been forced to improve. Um, but had I not just, uh, it actually started because I convinced a friend of mine uh, who only played online poker to travel with me to Auckland, oh. and I. Um, and I bought a large portion of his action in the tournament, and uh, I actually stone bubbled. I remember there was a, a post saying "Black goes flat" on the bubble, and then uh, my friend went on to come second. So if he didn't have that good result, it wouldn't have given me a bit of a bankroll to play with that year. And then uh, the rest is history. Mm. <laughs> I think it is important to have a good start. I think there's probably. A whole bunch of could have been poker players who didn't get that. They got a bit of rough luck in their early early start, and it it just discouraged them uh, and bankroll uh, problems, and and therefore they turned to something else. Um, back in back back a further decade, you know, when I started, I'm 43 now. I know I don't look it, Merv, but yeah. No. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, it, it, I think if you were serious about taking poker and trying to make money out of it, it was a lot easier. I mean, all you had to do was just be vaguely sensible and <laughs> you, you were immediately profitable because it was so reckless. You know, people were just making such glaring mistakes. Um, and so for me, it I was definitely pretty hopeless, but massively profitable um, just against the general population. Uh, so I think back in back two decades ago, it was a lot easier to get into the game if you wanted to pursue it seriously. And like you're saying, five, sort of five years ago, six years ago, it was it was already a lot harder. Um, and there was that chance where if you'd have had uh, a bad break of luck, then yeah, it might not have happened for you. So yeah. look, I wasn't even doing anything really. Uh good or different from the other players. I think I was just pretty solid, pretty tight, just happened to have a run of good luck. And then um, that sort of, you know, pushed me towards uh, putting more more work into my game. I, I think I'm a much better player now than I was six years ago, but that year was definitely my best year results-wise. So yeah. lots of luck, lots of luck in tournament poker. For sure. <laughs> I mean, you, you know, a solid tag strategy or even a really super tight strategy still has a chance you know and if the if the player pulls a bit uh, uh got a few fish in it then it's you know you might you might even be better than break even with um sure. with that sure. sort of traditional strategy which still it doesn't do horribly badly um so yeah i mean i think it's not even a bad idea for a person new to the game to start off with that traditional strategy and just um build up build the, the skills with it is, it's not as fun it's, it's not, not as fun, it's not as fun no. now, now i play 
I mean, I think I had a reputation for a long period of time amongst all the other Australian regs that uh, that I was like the tightest yeah. professional in Australia. I don't know if they still view me in that way. Maybe I shouldn't give away too much, but uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I don't have that sort of discipline anymore. I definitely like to like to get amongst the action now. Yeah, I mean, it takes a few years to to be comfortable playing looser ranges and. Um, uh, to, to understand what you're doing with some of those weaker hands and making them profitable because you know when you first start it's quite hard uh, to, to play all these hands at a profit um, so yeah, I, I mean it makes have, yeah you want to have the awareness of, of where you're at and uh, if, if you don't have the skill level to play some more complicated hands correctly then just play tighter exactly and, and, and that's why you know a simpler tight strategy is a good idea for players um, who are in their first year, uh, um, or you know, I mean, there are, there are exceptions. I mean, there are guys who don't even play until they've studied for like a year. <laughs> I've, I've come across a couple of these in my coaching. Uh, you know, really, really disciplined. They're, 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 obviously, they're getting practice on really low stake stuff, but they're not they're not launching themselves out there until they feel absolutely nail on with what they're doing. And I think that's hugely disciplined, but oh, that's, um, that's unheard of discipline. In my, <laughs> my you have to at least get a taste of what you're working towards. Yeah, uh, I, I, I agree. Um, but uh, it, it depends on the personalities and, you know, sure. the goals and the discipline, but you know, mm -hmm. the, the, there is that possibility for people to, to, you know, almost treat it like, well, first of all, I'm going to get my diploma. I'm going to do sort of a year, two years of, of pure study. Um, and, of course, that's going to involve some some play. But, it, you know, you can choose low stakes where it's not going to um, impact your bankroll. And then, uh, and then, yeah, and then go for it afterwards once you're qualified, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, given that uh, the game's so so much harder now, as we were talking about, than five years ago, ten years ago, um, fifteen, maybe it isn't such a bad idea to really you know get your studying on for the first for, for a year or so, and know where the entry point is has got to be uh, instead of just entering in as a oh, I've never played this before. Um, and I think what you guys were talking about one of the worst things, one of the worst feelings is getting to a flop. You flop something and you don't know where you are in the hand. You don't know whether whether you're even close to being in front. You don't know if you're way behind. And then someone bets at you. It's a terrible feeling. So you kind of, I, I can really appreciate that uh, that they've done that, and, and uh, they're going to come to the game a pretty you know, a, a good player, knowing knowing what all their equities are. And uh, yeah, I agree with you. But a lot of it comes from just getting into those situations and then yeah. writing down the hand, asking someone, what was I meant to do here? So you, there's only so much prep you can do until you're actually in there. There's, you know, thousands of different scenarios that come up in poker mm. and uh, you, you're not going to be prepared for all of them until you uh, find yourself in that situation and then try and learn from it. Yeah, yeah. And probably if they're playing uh, ultra micro low stakes, uh, they're not necessarily going to get practiced against what they're studying uh, about so yeah of course the population is different um at those stakes so you, t you can develop bad habits um if you're not Absolutely. careful yeah mm -hmm. yeah yeah well um also dan you must tell us like uh the vegas trip for you this year like a couple of wins in daily deep stacks i mean yeah. 
I know they run a field yeah. every day, but still, to, to get through those sorts of fields. Uh, yeah, so I've, I've, I've gone to Vegas for two months the last six years. Um, and I usually just play, I'm pretty hungry to like win a bracelet, have a really big result. But uh, this year decided that I'd still play uh, most of the 1K Hold'em events, only play No Limit Hold'em. And uh, when, when you know, the opportunities came up, even just to late reg something with a smaller buy-in but a big field, uh, you know, I, I have my ego pretty in check. I know where I'm at in the poker pecking order. Um, this is definitely a field where I feel like I have a pretty big edge when I go deep. Um, you just need a lot of luck to get there. And, uh, yeah, I was fortunate twice, won uh, two of the daily deep stacks. And, uh, yeah, you know, there's it's fun when you win any sort of tournament. Mm. It doesn't mm. matter how much money. You don't often win the tournament. And yeah. uh, it's just a reminder of how fun poker is when you make a final table. To me, like, day ones of tournaments usually aren't that fun. You know, it gets more exciting when you get close to the money, when you get close to the final table, when you're in a position to win the tournament. Mm. And, uh, yeah, even though it wasn't for as much money as some people in Vegas are playing for, I was definitely thrilled with the with the two wins. Yeah. Yeah, and, and they're long grinds. Uh, is it uh, – they can be like a 12-hour? Yeah. Like, uh, at like 1 p.m. and go till 6, 7 a.m. the next day. And these are like 900-player okay. fields. So, yeah. So yeah. Yeah, it was, it was good fun, and you know, yeah, no, good grinding. Good, yeah, good must be a great uh, practice for you too to to really get that uh, you know, ability to focus uh, for that long a period of time. Oh, definitely. Anytime you win a tournament or go deep, it, it, it reaffirms that uh, uh, the work that you've put in is uh, going towards something. Because um, you can have long stretches where you where you don't cash a tournament or, or have a deep run. So. Yes. Uh, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Matt doesn't. I know all about the long the long bricks. <laughs> brick, brick, brick. However, since the last podcast, which uh, we you may hear this a little bit later than we're recording it, but uh, I have had a three peat of caches the last yeah. week. So. Well, I think that's how we even got into contact because uh, you popped up in my Twitter feed and I thought, oh, this is a good achievement. I thought I'll yeah, play you and, and here we are now. Yeah, no, thank you for that. Uh, it was my, my best ever uh, result, uh, first in a I, – I keep calling it a 10K. Uh, it sounds a little bit like I've entered a 10K like main event. Yeah, you're yeah, <laughs> now a millionaire. I'm thinking like Aussie Millions main, WSN Yeah, no, it wasn't quite like that. It was a $10,000 guarantee prize pool, which still had 150 players. and Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, and it was a – you need, you need like I said, you now hopefully you like really enjoyed the win and uh, oh, you know it implies yeah. you to, to keep working on your game and who knows maybe maybe it'll, it will be a a ten k Aussie Millions main. Yes, one day it's, it's coming. I, I know uh, it definitely gave me the confidence to uh, the night before last or the the night after the win. Um, I busted just short of the money on day two of uh, of the twenty k, uh, about five short of the money, which was. Uh, yeah, a little bit disappointing, but when I um, worked out where can I go to play another game tonight, the only game that was on was a PLO game. I've never played PLO before, um, just about ever before, I think. I went along to this tournament. I thought, yeah, what, what the hell? I'll go. I'll go play some cards, and um, came second in that. So, 
That's, it's quite it. interesting, that, Mercy. How, how many times have you played Omaha before? I think I can honestly say never. I think I've played Pineapple once. But you've seen it, right? You've seen it. You understand the game. Yeah, barely. Like four cards, uh, double suited and connected, so pretty good, um, I think. Um, <laughs> and, um, and and fold a lot of crap. Don't, go, don't think, don't get attached to a single pair. Um, so it's, this is quite interesting to me actually because I'm, I'm doing I'm doing this new video course uh, poker thought processes and it it occurs to me whilst I'm making this that a lot of what I'm saying is entirely applicable to any other sort of turn-based mm -hmm. strategy game where the betting's got a similar pattern to no limit hold'em the whole the whole way you think through mm -hmm. um it is kind of similar, even to the point where you know you you should be thinking about your opponent's range and how strong your range is, and and in the, in the kind of the same kind of order. Um, and if you're applying the same thought processes that you do when you're playing Hold'em to when you're playing Omaha, the only difference is the the hand strengths really, is you need to learn, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, how strong your hand is in relation to everything else that's going on around you, Whoa, but. No. That was one of the tricks. So, because I, I max late regged, uh, got my fifty k stack, and the blinds were already, I think, one two, about to go to one five three. So I had about fifteen bigs, but thankfully the table was uh, wasn't too aggressive. And um, I, again, my mantra while when I when I won the the ten k was pretty much pr thinking pre flop range ranges or my pre flop hand selection, I guess, to be more accurate, uh, and every single hand. That it came to, if it was if it was rubbish from that position or that position, just fold it. Don't even think about getting involved. Um, and I did the same thing with the Omaha, even though I don't know this the hand selection so well. Uh, and I, I think I did pretty well. I think I folded most of my crap hands, and then when I did get strong hands, I'd flop the nuts, bet pot, 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 get called, 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 and scoop in. And the next thing you know, I had like th three starting stacks. So, did you uh, let your opponents know how new to the game you were, or did you uh, keep that close to your chest? It was interesting. I, I didn't mention it until I made a little mistake with uh, with something. It was actually a, I think it was uh, she said I was string betting, and it was probably more because I wasn't sure I was counting out the pot at the same time, and um, and that's when I said, "Oh, sorry, you know," but it is my first time, and and she just kind of didn't really hear it or, or heard it didn't really care didn't apply it to the rest of the table uh, so it wasn't until we got down to we it was uh, when there was three left the the guy that was a massive chip leader i didn't really want him to know because i knew that he would just punish me um but once me and the other guy kind of got together and knocked out him <laughs> uh once me and the other guy were left we were turning over my hands and sort of comparing hand strengths and telling me it was a good fold to fold when you've got all four of the same suit it's, that's not a good. Not a good <laughs> uh, the only one card away from a flush, though. Oh, yeah. Well, I did. I did get a card. <laughs> I thought I had a. I thought I had a, a royal flush draw uh, at one point, and then I sort of got told, "No, no, you've got a straight. Uh, that's all." But that was enough to win the pot. So. Yeah. Oh, I'd have loved to have been a fly on the wall. <laughs> uh, it, was, it was great. Uh, and, and and another late reg last night was um, these, these max late regs are uh, doing me quite good. So. I've got that plan for after this, uh, after the podcast today. I, I'll go and play one that starts at seven, and if I get knocked out before nine thirty, I can drive to uh, late reg at the same place I cashed that last night. So. Oh, 
Uh, and the structure at uh, at the one last night was fantastic. You know, we were playing um, 20, 30 blinds deep with three players left, and yeah, that's just about unheard of in most of the pub games, uh, at least in in Sydney and probably Australia as well. Um, we just had so much playability; it was fantastic. Went for it, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I just played uh, some of the tournaments at the Melbourne, well, I think it's called Melbourne Poker Champs. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I, I, I was fine with the structures. You have to you have to find the balance between, uh, you know, there being some playability, but also you don't want the tournament to end at like 7 a.m. the next day. So uh, I think yeah, Joel I, and, and everyone in charge there does a really good job. I don't, I don't mind them finishing at 7. Any, anyone that can't play until 7, they're wusses. They, they, they need to toughen up and... and, and Play for that twelve-hour. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people have to go to work the next day. And, yeah, that, that's their problem. That's their problem. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's to your advantage. That's yeah. Perfect. If they can't uh, come play poker for twelve hours straight and go straight to work the next day, I, I love hearing that when uh, when you get close to the cash and you're just grinding away, happy sort of sitting there. Then someone says, "Oh, they yawn and oh." I've got to go to work in three hours. And you go, oh, okay. Yep. <laughs> yeah. If you want to chop and give me most of the money, I'm happy to, to let you go. Or you yeah. can dump all your chips off now. Just, <laughs> however you want to. <laughs> yeah. Well, we might, um, we probably should have a break now. And uh, there's stacks more stuff we want to uh, chat about with you, Dean. But uh, we'll take a break now and we'll come back shortly with our poser on the Post Flop Poker podcast. And welcome back, everyone. As always, it's great to have you with us. We've got Dean Blatt with us today, and this week he's brought along a poser hand for us from the recent uh, Melbourne Poker Champs. And uh, so it's a blind-on-blind situation, uh, and we're both uh, pretty deep. Maybe 50 bigs effective, and uh, I might throw it over to you, Dean. Oh, yeah, to- no worries. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I think we're, we're late in day one of the Mel main event, we're at 1K big blind and a very, very good young Australian player named Luke Martinelli is on my direct right. And he limps, he just completes in the small blind. And I have Jack five offsuit in the big blind. Um, just a side to check, happy to keep the pot smaller here against Luke. Uh, the flop comes King Jack nine. Oh, and there was anti, uh, sorry, it's just a big blind anti or anti? Yeah, big blind anti. So there's about 3K in the middle going to the flop. Yeah. Um, and Luke leads out for 1300 on the flop. My holding is Jack 5 offsuit and the ball is King Jack 9. And the suits don't really matter in this. Yeah, there was no flash draw on the flop. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So what do you guys do uh, in this spot to start to start things? Well, I, I, I definitely check behind pre-flop. Yeah, uh, I yeah. mean, Jack fives. It's not really. I mean, I'm going to raise <laughs> a lot of hands just just to sort of slam the door in his face, but I'm not going to raise Jack five off. As always, it's hashtag villain dependent. I mean, if the villain in the small blind that completed was obviously going to be folding to our raise, then I'm happy to raise there, but not against the um, villain so described. Uh, 
Which yeah, just I mean, you've got a bit of history, so you'll know whether he, he yeah. does he fold any hands, does it? You know, because some some players will just play their entire range, um, or most of them. Yeah, look, I'd, I'd be shocked to ever see Luke give me a walk. I yeah. have seen that happen before, but uh, yeah, you know. So I mean, you just you're going into a flop with Jack Five against a 100% range, or maybe a bit less yeah. if he's a bit. If he, if he this would, was my thinking going into the hand. He's going, I mean, he's going to be he's going to be raising most of his strong hands with with a good frequency. So he's going in there quite weak, and you've got position, so it's it's a pretty good spot for you. Yeah. Um, you got the, the the blinds and antes, so the pot is reasonable, right? Three was it three k, three k, three k pot. Yeah. Yep. And the flop we get uh, the king jack nine, so giving us the middle pair. And uh, and you said uh, Luke leads out for thirteen hundred, correct? Yes. What do you think about that bet size? It, it, does that seem really normal on this board, or would you expect maybe a slightly bigger bet? Um, look, I imagine that Luke's strategy in this spot is often to limp stab. Yeah, I don't know. If that's like something that you two are familiar with, but Very you much. can just <laughs> have a lot of like random BS holding. Yeah. And, uh, you know, both both players in this spot aren't going to have much. Um, probably more going to be weighted towards low-card hands or maybe one high-card, low-card hand because yeah. I would have, you know, raised a lot of my Broadway hands. So it's a pretty profitable spot for him just to see bet small with anything. And then uh, that's going to be the end of the hand, like a large portion of the time. Yeah. So I think his sizing is fine. And uh, in my head, I'm thinking that he's see betting this spot a very very high frequency not strictly a c bet because he limps pre-flop sorry yeah just uh stabbing yeah just limp stabbing. Yeah. yeah um yeah. And so with with my middle pair i thought my only real option is just to call that doesn't really make sense to do anything else no definitely i mean it's it's tempting to throw out random raises in these blind versus blind spots when you're in position but um if, if there's a, a hand in your range that you're going to always flat with, I, I think kind of middle pair here, yeah, is is and, probably top of my list. Yeah. yeah. And, and again, I'd, I'd probably just throw in the thing, again, if your small blind is a, a weakish player and you can sense that this is one of those limp stab with nothing kind of uh, tries, he's trying it on, um, yeah, you could consider a raise and... Uh, uh, yeah, it's I, just not with this hand, I think. No, it, no, not with this hand, yeah. and not, not with this uh, opponent. So my thinking in this spot would be, I'm hoping that he has some complete garbage hand. And if that is the case, I want to just call because yeah. Uh, yeah. I want to bluff you catch him. You can release a lot of accuracy. I don't, I don't really want to raise and then just get him to fold his no, no. Yeah. hands. And if he calls my raise, then it also kind of puts me in an awkward spot in terms of where I'm at in the hand. Mm. So... These spots, I think, better just calling, keeping his range wide, and uh, yeah, hoping that we're going to maybe make a little money on future streets. Yeah, yeah, great. So, uh, so you you call uh, that gives us the pot of five point six or five thousand six hundred, yep. uh, and the turn comes a ten. Yep. So, uh, adding to the board, King Jack nine ten, uh, irrelevant suits at the moment. Uh, he checks. And, yeah, so we've got four to a straight uh, on the board. Again, I don't 
I don't think I really need to turn my hand into a bluff. I probably have the best hand often enough here. So uh, happy just to check, which is yeah. what I opted to do. Yeah. Um, your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, that card's going to bring about a lot of check-check here. Um, uh, what would you What would you have done if he'd have continued to bet? Just call again? It's pretty close. If he bets again, um, he probably can get the fold out of me. I probably have better hands to call with. Um, but, yeah, I was, was, was thinking this is not a terrible situation for me. I guess if he has absolutely nothing and he isn't going to give up on the hand he's probably going to bet the turn again so he's probably he's probably representing that he's got like some sort of hand that that can uh maybe check call um so i'm i'm really just happy to try and get the showdown once once the card once this card comes on the turn yeah i, mm -hmm. I mean your check i think behind his check is really clear but uh just i don't know i mean what what sort of hands would he bet i'm trying to eliminate some hands from his range so what do you think he would would bet with he'd bet with a straight right and he'd bet with uh would he bet a king he'd bet a king i would be pretty confident he would check a king you think he'd um, check the king yeah um so so what what does he bet there so he, he'll bet my thinking was that he'll bet all his straights yeah and that he may bet some combos of two pair, although I don't know how many he has. And yeah. then he just has all his bluffs that maybe he thinks he he's better off just um, bet check betting um, with those hands. So I don't know. It it probably isn't a turn card that, that gets too many bets from him because really? I can obviously have... When I call the flop, I've obviously got either a pair or a straight draw. So yeah. it's a better card for my range than his, I would say. Yeah. Okay. And do, mm. do you happen to remember if there were, there was any flush potential? No. Uh, yeah. So I'm pretty sure it was just yeah four different suits. So yeah. no flush. And it, that simplifies it, doesn't it? Because then yeah, the, yeah, yeah. He has more bluffs, obviously, if he turned a flush draw or yeah. something like that. So we both check, and then uh, the river card was a king, so it repeats the top the top pair, and mm. uh, I guess this is where the spot gets kind of interesting because he then. Throughout a bet of six thousand, which was a slight overbet, and uh, definitely not what I was expecting. Yeah, and uh, uh, yeah, I went deep into the tank in this spot, and uh, yeah, yeah, I suppose that's what you guys would do here. Well, that king takes out a couple of combos of uh, of king X hands that he might have, which you know w widens the number. I mean, there's already a lot of bluffing hands there, and then you know you take out the the, the king. It's, it does feel good for your Jack, I have to say. He could, of course, he could have played a, a straight really strangely, but um, it does feel like you're likely to be in good shape often. Um, I mean, you might be splitting, I guess. Uh, yeah, so my thinking was, I mean, he, maybe he's good enough to have some Jacks, but... There's not that many. I mean, I'm chopping with a lot of the jacks that he has. Um, a king makes a lot of sense, but it's hard to have a king here when there's two kings on the board. Yeah. And I just thought that he'd never have a straight, that he wouldn't bet the turn. But maybe that's maybe that's uh, not quite true. 
Um, I thought he has a lot of bluffs that he limp stabs with on the flop. And then when I check back the turn, I almost never have a straight. I can have a king and I'm always going to call with a king. So he's just banking on me not having a king because it's hard to have a king. He probably puts me on a jack or a nine. I suppose I could have a 10 as well. And I think I think his bet sizing here is great. It just really comes down to what I think his strategy is with all of his like nonsense hands. Like let's say he has three, four offsuit and he's limp stab the flop, check the turn. Is he going to go for it on this river when, when I'm pretty capped? Mm-hmm. Or uh, is he going to give up? And uh, he's obviously going to go for it with a lot of his bluffs, but I don't know how many and I don't know how wide. I'm meant to hero call him in this spot, so to speak. Mm. Yeah. Um, how much of an overbet is it? So can you just remind the us? Pot was, the pot was 5,600. Yeah. yeah, so not really. Just pot size bet. Okay, so it's just over a pot size bet. So, it, I mean, it, he ought to be bluffing with about 30% of his hands or just slightly less maybe to cause you a complete nightmare scenario because you're just guessing. And if he gets his frequencies right, then it's you know it's difficult for you to to find the right solution. Um, he's definitely got a massive load of bluffing hands to choose from. Is he choosing the right frequency of them? That's the the, the, the question. And then you know, from your perspective, it just comes down to playing playing a bit of a, a guessing game. Um, yeah, I guess you sometimes. I mean, I certainly got into my head leveled myself perhaps a little in this spot um just thought that maybe i have this perceived image in his mind that i overfold he definitely has this uh perception in my mind that that he over bluffs so uh (laughs) yeah to to put the cape on it's not something i'm known for doing but i put the cape on you want to i mean i don't even know if this hand's guessable i was pretty it caught it, it caught me by surprise when i when i called and uh and he turned over his hand well, I, I'm just going to say right here and now, I'm I, I'm folding. You're folding. I'm yeah. Folding. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised to to, to have him turn over six two or something ridiculous. I Me mean, neither. But uh, you know, so it was actually he was pretty clever in how he did it because you know I've got a bit of a friendship and we were bantering at the time, and I just decided to flick it in, and he turns over one card at a time, almost in a way of making it look like you know he's annoyed to have to turn over his cards. So the first card he turns over is an eight, which I was pretty happy to see because it's not a king or a queen or anything like that. And then the other card was a seven. So he actually had the bottom end of the straight. Wow. So it was a hand that I didn't even really consider, but I guess it makes a lot of sense. And, uh, yeah, felt pretty owned. But uh, sometimes you just got to gotta say nice hand and uh, pass the chips over. Yeah, actually, of course, the bottom side of the straight was much more logical to to check the turn with. Um, although he might have bet the turn, what do you think? Yeah, well, like I said, I was kind of surprised with the hand that he turned over, but uh, clearly he's constructed in his his range in such a way where you know by him checking there and me checking back. He now has this ability to overbet pretty comfortably that he's got the best hand. Yeah. He knows I'm always going to call with a king, and correctly, you know, uh, deduce that I was going to call sometimes with a jack ten or nine. Um, my first instinct was to fold, but uh, yeah, sort of thought that he's just going to have so much random 
uh, trash in this spot that that I have to call some of the time. I think when, whenever both players check the turn, it's sort of almost regardless of what's happened pre- previously in the hand, the the guy out of position does have this opportunity to bet the river um, and present a problem. And and I, I feel like it's very often the right thing to do, you know, after check check on the turn. Um, so I don't know. I don't know what my point is. It's it's just well, yeah. It's it's, it's attacking a what we call a capped range. Um, yeah, yeah. I can check back a straight on the turn, but it'd probably make more sense for me to bet. He has like a lot of two pairs. He could have top pair. I want to get value from my hand. Um, but you know, you can check back sometimes because you get nice situations like this where your opponent thinks, well, they can't have a super strong hand based on their turn action. You know, if I just had a queen there and I like min raise him or something on the river, he's really going to hate life given the strength of his hand. Um, but yeah, he probably, you know, he just owned me. He correctly worked out pretty much exactly what I was holding and how much he could get called for. Oh, nice. Yes. So, so of- hand up, sometimes you just got to give it to your opponents. He's a very good uh, young player, Luke Martinelli. I think uh, in a few years we'll see him more on the like world stage. Mm. So Definitely. do you have any closing advice to listeners if they're in a similar spot in the future um, as to how to work out whether or not to do this kind of hero call on the, on the end? Uh, well, I think, I mean, I actually discussed the hand with him afterwards because I really respect his opinion and uh, didn't really know what I was meant to do. And we came to the conclusion that it's a type of hand that you are meant to call with some frequency. So I, you know, I couldn't even tell you right now how often I'm meant to call with this hand. If you got good enough that you learned that, okay, this is a spot where I'm meant to call, you know, one third of the time. Some players have ways of like using a random number generator or, or looking at a clock to decide <laughs> if in the first third of the clock, then I'm going to call. If it's not, then I'm going to fold. Um, if you're not looking at from like a game theory optimal perspective, more just like looking at your play, player and trying to work out based on the history and what sort of player he is. Um, it's it's close again. I think um, maybe like erring on the side of caution and folding these spots is probably better if you're, if, if you're going to be over-calling too much. Like if you have a king here, I think you just have to call. There's some yeah. hands that you have to call with. And uh, I think a Jack as well. I mean, it's, it's, it's a hand that you can you can go both ways. I think calling or folding, neither is going to be too much of a mistake as long as you don't always do the same thing in the situation. I, I I just feel like there's a, a slim chance that he might value bet a Jack, and if if that's possible, then a King and a Jack become hands that you have to call with, uh, and then you know the rest of them are just the, the guesswork hands if you're going to call with weaker um but I, I yeah i don't know if that's wrong of me to think that he would better jack on the end i'm not sure he's probably good enough that he would i'm not sure either the thin value mm. into it but uh yeah yeah nice hand and um, in, in other types of spots of course you you're going to have things like blockers and things that come into play and if there's more than you know there's uh, flush suits on the board and it gets quite complicated working out the combination of your own hand that you're going to choose as, as your hero call um, yeah but but in I, this spot it's kind of just like you've got this whole, whole mass of hands that 
you're choosing from and it's just random really which ones absolutely i find the hand interesting because exactly what you said i mean my kicker is completely irrelevant yeah it's really about do i put my opponent on like the full range of hands meaning he could even have like deuce five offsuit and if he does have these hands i expect him to bet the flop often but does he go for it on the river does he use the sizing when he does and uh, yeah, I mean, I, I suppose only Luke would really know that answer. Mm-hmm. Uh, you kind of make these, make these, you know, uh, educated guesses against uh, what you think your opponent's range can be in this in this situation. Mm. Good. Yeah. Nice hand. Um, yeah. Thanks for bringing that. It's 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 always nice and and uh, even humbling when our guest or Ben brings up a hand where he's actually lost the hand. Oh, I, I'm only really interested in the hands that I lose. The yeah. hands that I win, uh, usually I just have a full house and it, like, plays itself. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you got to – this is how you learn when you've, when you've either misplayed a hand or, you know, maybe I fold in this spot and then I still – you know, there's a lot to learn from it. I now I really don't have that much uh, insight into what Luke has – and now by calling, I know, okay, well, this is how he plays 7-8 in the spot. Yeah. Yeah, it really is the hands that we lose that we learn the most from. Uh, Absolutely. Than, than the hands that we win. It's uh, it's like it's really – if you happen to put on a, a shove and it doesn't get through, then you start pondering, what should I have shoved in this position? Maybe I could have waited, blah, 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 blah. If the shove gets through, you collect all the chips, you go, that's great, and move on and probably do it again in an orbit or two later. Um yeah, without even giving it a second thought. So yeah, yeah. in an yeah. ideal world, it's both. You know, we learn equally oh, course, from yeah. both. But I, I, I get that. Obviously, uh, the hands you win feels good, and hands you lose feels bad. So it's it's there's a there's a kind of mental um, thing going on there that we want to learn from the ones we've lost. Uh, but yeah. uh, it should be both. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'd uh, I'd love to hear both of your thoughts on uh, the Nick Marchington. Uh, situation if you guys are aware of it I am aware of it because uh, obviously he's from my neck of the woods um, oh really have you already discussed it on this show no actually no. we haven't um, I I followed his his deep run though um, I didn't hear about the uh, staking issues until afterwards but uh, I, I was certainly following him um, at the, you know at the final table and um because he's such a young lad. Uh. <laughs> yeah. You want me to maybe outline what, what happened and then uh, you can both give me your thoughts on uh, who's... Yeah, uh, I don't know the, the, the details of the staking. I don't know if you call it a scandal or... Um, but, yeah. Well, so I generally, I find this stuff in poker way more interesting. You know, when, when there's a bit of drama in the poker room, if... Uh, the security guards have to come in. That's that's what you live for as a poker player. <laughs> it's uh, a bit boring sometimes just uh, watching thousands of poker hands develop. But uh, yeah, the scenario was that he he sold action at one point one markup. Uh, that just means he charges like a bit of a premium on his action, so ten percent uh, for one event, which was the five k uh, WSP bracelet event, and he charged at one point two markup for the main event. He sold 10% to some staking group, which I, I think is maybe just two people. Um, and they bought the action in the two events. They gave him the money a month in advance. 
He then goes on to play the 5K tournament. Um, I don't I don't know whether he cashed or not. And then it comes to a couple of days before the main event and he approaches the people that have already bought the action and confirmed that they have it. And he tells them that he actually has received a better offer, that someone's willing to give 1.7 markup. So that means he gets an extra 500 US dollars to sell them the action. So he just told them that the deal is off and uh, I'm going to refund you. And it's ambiguous. We don't know how they felt about it, whether they agreed, but they took the money back. That much we know. And then Nick goes on to finish seventh or eighth. I can't remember. And uh, straight after his result, the uh, the two people that initially had the action are suing him for 10% of the winnings. Mm. It's, I think, um, from, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm right, but I think they didn't collect the money back until after the main event had started. So they collected, so he told them that the the deal is off. I found someone else I'm selling the action to. Um, I'm Your action is not booked. I'm going to give you back the money. Yeah, he yeah. gave them back the money on day two. Yeah. Uh, so, but it was clear that he unbooked the action. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he bagged maybe two X start stack. You're still so far from anything. He gave them the money back on day two. Uh, yeah. the, I think the real crux of it is what what kind of conversation took place when he said your action isn't booked? Were they like, no, this is this is BS. We want to keep it, or did they just accept it and they and they took the money back and they're like, this is fine. Um, I think it's I think it's pretty. Uh, pretty dodgy on both parties to be honest i think you know if, if you sell your house to someone and then two weeks later someone gives you better offer you can't just go take that offer you've already made a deal with someone there's, there's a contract of sorts isn't there um of course there was offer and acceptance they gave him the money to hold on to he held on to it for a month and then he just changed his mind because he got a better deal mm. but in saying that had he not cashed the main i'm sure these people weren't going to chase him up to ensure that they paid the 10 cents they're really just free rolling this opportunity to uh to make a lot of money yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's an interesting one because of the way that the the um contract became null and void if indeed it did legally and so obviously they're pursuing the legal channels to find out whether or not they can make a claim i don't know what the outcome's going to be if the if there is already yeah. an outcome. Well, I've spoken to this at length with uh, someone that you've had on the podcast not too long ago, Scott Davies, who oh, yeah. uh, used yeah. to be an attorney. Shout out, um, Scott. Um, I was actually traveling around America with him for a bit and found this topic very interesting. And he, he believes that if it's unilaterally broken, which is what they're going to be arguing, that he basically, they didn't, they didn't both agree to cancel it. He just said it's off then you can't technically do that. Like they, they had a contract and both yeah. parties need to agree. So, yeah. yeah. Do, do they tacitly agree to to uh, break the contract though by receiving the money back? Yeah. By, well, by not receiving the money back if yeah. they refuse that. Yeah. Well, so that's uh, why it really matters what happened in that moment, right? Like yeah. what if he came up to them and said, yeah, the deal's off, like here's your money. And then they were like, I don't, I don't want the money back. I want to keep the deal. And then he was like, well, you're not booked, so here's your money, and he just throws the money at them. Mm-hmm. Now they have the money, but did they really want the money back? Um, I'm sure they're going to argue. So, so they're taking uh, Nick Marchington to court 
So, you know, it'll be really interesting. My assumption is that they will settle because it's not going to be worth it for either party, but I kind of hope it does go to court because I'm really interested, you know, <laughs> who actually is in the right here. Where, where would it go to court? Is it is it a, a UK... Um, I'm not sure. Both but parties UK? Because the, then the I Rio think it would be more simple, but if it's like an international problem where, you know, they're in different countries, then the legal complications could be massive. Yeah, you're right. Well, I, I couldn't answer that, but I know that they've withheld the money. So he actually hasn't been able to take out all of his winnings uh, from the Rio because of this pending lawsuit. Wow. Who, who, would have, who would have, so they put some sort of um, block on on the Rio paying? Absolutely. Money. Yeah. So he doesn't actually wow. have access to that 150000 that they're claiming belongs to them. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, wow. so uh, I think just just the the lesson you take out of this is that when you uh, sell action to someone, um, I, I suppose if you're going to play the event, the only way out of it is if you decide not to play the event. You can't really. I think what he did was was not good practice. No. Um, but then on the other side, what this staking group is doing is also kind of a bit mm. shady because they weren't going to pay him the money if he didn't do well. It's exactly. just that it happened to do well, and now they they want yeah. their piece of the pie. It, it it is a really sad precedent to make, though, that uh, you book some action, and then oh, sorry, I've got a better offer. Your action's unbooked. Yeah, and I mean, then it's you get another kid, better offer, and you go, sorry, your action's unbooked. I'm going to take the twenty one years old. You know, yeah, you make, make mistakes. Oh, of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know what's sad? He he came across so well in the interviews he, and really yeah, like he's a lovely and, uh, kid. Yeah, so I always feel like he's been punished enough. With um, with all this negative feed, uh, you know, it is. Mm. It's a shame because it's, it's, it's a sensational is story. Seventh in the main event at age twenty-one, um, clearly very, very talented, and he ha- and he has acknowledged he's made a mistake. He's you know, he's not yeah. he's not um, being, uh, you know, he's not sort of fighting what's happened. He's accepted what's happened. It's it's more a case of whether legally he gets punished now or not. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I, I hope. It, I mean, I, I hope it was, and I, I trust it was a kind of honest mistake, and that he didn't realize or recognize that you can't really just sort of unbook action and then rebook it. I mean, imagine if everyone did that, though. It, it just it, the whole staking world would fall apart. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the environment would just it, go it's crazy. All, so it's a weird hopefully, it's a, just a an honest, you know, mistake. Um, I, has he had much history of being staked? Was he? Like, is this couldn't, couldn't speak to his background, but it's a weird one. You buy action all the time because you want to sweat, and so yeah. when someone does something like this to you, you're kind of forced to now anti sweat the person. And, um, yeah, that's why they would have been watching, you know, the whole time when he makes day five, day six, day oh, seven, goodness, and they would have been pretty frustrated that they didn't have their 10%. Um, so yeah, certainly not a good practice to get into, but I but I also feel for him, I think he's probably new to the scene and he made an honest mistake. Uh, he definitely paid out the other people that got the ten percent. So he wasn't trying yeah. to do anything dishonest. Um, mm. Just an unfortunate, yeah, situation. Yeah. Where... Well, luckily here here at Postloft, we don't have too much of that problem. I know I still, I, I think I'm still owed a dollar sixty seven from uh, Grant, one of our my stakers in WA. Wow. Have you done a post uh, on two plus two about him yet? I have not, but uh, small claims I know Grant's going to pay. I know he's good for it. So, uh, or actually, 
Yeah, it might not. I've got to work out the exact amount. It might not be a dollar sixty-seven. Uh, I think I might have won a little piece of a thirty-dollar satellite ticket, so it may be a bit less. Yeah, I'll my, work it out. But my friend Scott uh, sort of threatened to out me on two plus two because uh, often when we were traveling together, we'd do a flip to decide who pays for the meal or, you know, who gets which bed, those sorts of things. This is very common among poker players. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I think we're doing for like a coffee one day and he lost the flip. And then I, after the flip, threw in a cookie in the order oh, and he, he said, this on. is just not on. This come is just on. not on. And um, uh, um, yeah, in my defense, I, I thought I was just being funny, but no, he he uh, <laughs> really, he threatened to uh, to make sure that no one does flips with me going forward. At least for coffee, like coffee. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, and the cookie. He he actually ended up having half the cookie, so I think uh, ended up being pretty fair. Oh, that's getting a bit murky now. I think. Yeah, I, yeah. I think he lost a bit of his. Uh... <laughs> we, we got to a situation. <laughs> later in the we had no food in the room, and then it was like, oh, what about the cookie? And uh, you know, ended up being a pretty pretty fortunate that I had the foresight to grab that cookie. <laughs> he wasn't knocking it back then, was he? No, he was not. <laughs> Uh, excellent. Well, uh, we'll take another short break uh, and uh, let's come back with our stretch at hand on the Post Blood Poker podcast. Welcome back again and thanks for tuning in. We've got our stretch at hand for you today from patron Brennan Huff. And he writes in, he's gone to the casino on a very hot day and he rocks up to the 2-5 table. He's got $1,200 and he sits on a table full of regs. And the villain is in this hand, sits with about $600. So is the effective stack with 120 bigs. And our hero has ace queen off in what he calls, I've never heard this, the nickel back position. I think we had it last week actually, but five back from the button and he raises to $25. Hang on, five back from the button. Wouldn't we just say under the gun plus? Oh, no, no, no. Okay, I can see that it's kind of more accurate going back from the button. I always like going back from the button because you don't know if there's eight players at the table or nine. And um, Excellent, yeah. So I'm always a big, big fan of saying button minus or... Yep. Yeah. All right. Um, All right. Good call. Good call, Brandon. Um, okay. So we have Ace Queen off and we raise to $25 and he gets two callers, uh, the hijack and the cutoff. Then the button three bets squeezes to $75. Mm, that's quite uh, a serious bet. Yeah. And then uh, <laughs> the we call the other two fold. So we're heads up going to the flop. So, any thoughts on the pre-flop action? Yeah, he's calling out a position with ace-queens and he's calling for quite a large chunk of change, isn't he? Um, I mean, I think he's got no choice but to call really in this spot. The guy's three-bet pretty small given that there's two other callers. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm just going to call and yeah, see what the flop brings. Uh, so we get to the flop with a pot of $180 and the flop comes ace of hearts, nine of hearts, eight of diamonds. 
Uh, Brandon's very happy to see an ace on the flop. He was probably not continuing if he didn't. Um, he doesn't have a heart and he's out of position, so he checks, thinking he's either way ahead or way behind. So, um, yeah, what, what, what do we think of that check? Okay, checking to the three better? Yeah, I mean, you're checking most of your range, I guess. Yeah, I think in these three bet uh, spots, you just want to check to like start the hand anyway. It doesn't really make sense to lead here. If, if your opponent has bluffs, you want them to, to see about the flop. Um, so you don't want to just lead out and get them to fold. Uh, yeah, I think that's a good good point, actually, Dean. Because like, uh, I was I was talking, um, I can't remember if it was on the podcast or just with a, a client about building a donk betting range, and it, it's it's quite useful in just a normal raised part, but in a three bet part, I don't really, I don't think I ever donk out. Um, just don't have a range for it, uh, and maybe that's because of what you just said that. Um, Really, we we want our opponent to to come out bluffing at the pot because he's he's really the aggressor, you know. In, in a normal raised pot, it's kind of like, well, he might he might check back the flop. He's he's raised pre-flop, but he's not necessarily going to be that aggressive. But in a three-bet pot, it's a bit more serious, isn't it? Um, Absolutely. I mean, the, an ace-high board uh, hits his range more than yours. So he's just going to be betting there often, and you're going to have a lot of hands as as the hero in the spot that just check folds. Yeah. So you want to have when you have good hands, you also want to check so that you can get your opponent to put some money in. Yeah. You don't want them to just like fold. Yeah. 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 So if he's got like a pocket pair or um, just a, a junky thing, and he's not he's not got an ace, or he's got ace ace rag. Um, you know, it's it's good for us in all of these spots. So Ace Queen's in pretty mm. good shape here. Yeah. Check call. And and exactly the, the villain does bet seventy five dollars. Uh, so a bit of a smallish bet uh bet sizing and uh and we call. Uh it's a pretty easy call. There's not, not much reason to, to raise this there. Uh some people would be scared of the, the hearts draw. I think and when we, we raise, we just get him to fold. He's just going to fold. Worse hands and call yeah. with better hands. So mm. it's be better to keep his range wide. There are two hearts on board. We I don't know if we've got a heart in our hand. That's not we information don't. Brandon don't. gives us. Yeah, uh, he does. Oh, he we does. don't have a heart. Oh, we don't have a yeah. heart. Brilliant. No. Okay. Beg your pardon. Brandon always provides sufficient information. He's pretty, good. He's pretty good with that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, there it is. I have no heart. Yeah. 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 He could have told me that at the beginning of the hand, Brandon. <laughs> I, 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 I did mention it, Ben, uh, but that's okay. I, I understand. Uh, I don't listen to you, though. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad you said that because I was going to, but it would have sounded like I was just being cruel. But <laughs> you could just say it yourself. <laughs> cruel, Merv. That's not that's not a persona we've had yet, Merv. <laughs> no, not sure where where I keep that one either. <laughs> so pretty much locked away. Maybe in the next lifetime. <laughs> All right, let's get back to the action. So we check call flop, and the turn is the five of clubs. Yeah, pot three hundred and thirty. Yeah. So uh, here he, uh, our hero checks, intending to check raise, uh, given that it was a, a pretty small bet on the flop and the villain didn't look all that happy that um, Brandon called. So, Yeah, I think given the number of chips left behind, I understand why he might want to check raise this. Uh, not sure if it's 
right or wrong. Um, it might depend a little bit on how much the turn continuation bet was if if the villain were to bet. Um, but I think I think it's worth talking about check call or check raise if 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 the villain were to bet here. What do you think? Yeah, yeah, the stack to pot ratio looks uh, it'd be pretty fine just to check raise all in. You know, yeah. you want to get value out of your hand. Maybe goes check check on the river too often. There's enough draws there now on this turn card that it's also not bad just to even protect your hand a little here. Um, yeah, I I can see you going both both options. Yeah, but, I agree. Uh, I I think check calling's still okay. Yes. Um, but I, I I'm not. I'm not against check racing when there's so much. I mean, there's the term. There's three thirty in the middle, and I I think there's about four hundred and fifty or something like that left in the effective stack. Yeah, so, I think that's six hundred dollars to start. So I think if you're deeper, then just check calling makes a lot more sense. But in this spot, I yeah. think can't really go wrong either way. I agree. Just yeah, so unfortunately, our villain checks behind, so I go, so the turn goes check check. Uh, yeah, yeah. So if the villain checks behind, what does that say about the villain's range here? I mean, it doesn't really make sense for him to. Uh, I mean, he he can have some um, weak ace x hands, maybe a suited ace x hands that he's three bet now. He wants to pot control a little. Um, but we're we're feeling pretty good about our hand. To say the least, like we're looking to get value on the river. Yeah, mm. yeah. So, so we get to the river. Uh, the pot size three hundred and thirty dollars now, and the river is the six of spades. So, just completing the board: ace of hearts, nine of hearts, eight of diamonds, five of clubs on the turn, and then six of spades on the river. Uh, our hero bets out two hundred dollars here to get some value, and our villain raises him all in. So I mean, you, you're going to bet out there. Um, yeah, so put, uh, I mean, that the, a four straight. That's a four straight on the board on the river. It is, yeah. There's a nine, eight, six, and a five as well. So uh, the the seven would would give a straight. Tricky, tricky spot here. I mean, the three better shouldn't have that many sevens in their range, right? Um, so you do want to go for value. Uh, how much is his all in for over the two hundred bet? Um, I think about uh, not much more than double the bet, so maybe four fifty. Yeah, oh, I mean, this is this is an ugly spot. What what do you do here, Ben? It is ugly. Um, it, it's not not nice at all because the all in is yeah, it 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 just looks like it's for value. Um, but like you say, what what's he got? He's got. He's got some two pair combos. He's got ace nine, ace eight, ace seven, um, ace six, ace five. That these are all hands that are now ahead of you. Um, you're beating ace two, ace three, ace four, but I, I can't see him going all in with those hands. And then ace ten and ace jack is the same back. thing. I can't really see him going all in. They're, they're the hands we were looking to get value from, and now he's gone all in. What's he gone all in with? Well, so there are. Straight, if he happens to have like an ace seven suited, or um, or possibly a two pair combo, or, or a set. Because you imagine a lot of the hands that he's bluffing with are going to continue bluffing on the turn. It doesn't. 
you don't see this line yeah. often at a bluff that he's going to check back the turn and then raise all in over a bet. Um, the only reason why we're hating it is because it's such a we're getting such a good price on a call. Yeah. But I don't really know how many hands uh, we expect him to turn over that we're beating here. It's um, it's pretty sick, isn't it? Uh, but how do we fold uh, with yeah, such I, such good pot odds? You just you're just flipping it in. I, you got to show me the winner. I think. I think I think that there's a, a lot to be said for nearly disregarding pot odds at this point of time in a hand, um, and I've seen numerous examples of it the last few nights where, you know, a, a tiny pissy little river bet, is so obviously for value, um, and you know the pot size might be huge, facing such a tiny little bet, but it's just so obviously. A value pair. Well, yeah. And I mean, if you could say, you know, is this is this villain capable of raising this this amount as a bluff? And mm. if you can rule it out, then the you, you know you don't disregard the parts. What you're saying is he almost never hasn't got it here. And if that's the yeah. case, then although your pot odds are very good, you know that you still got to be able to win this. What I don't know. I've not worked it out. Fifteen, twenty, twenty-five percent of the time, you still got to be able to win it that often. And what mm. you're saying to me is, we're not winning it that often. Therefore, it's a yeah. fold. And yeah, y- yeah. I, I mean, maybe, maybe. I'm not sure I'd be able to fold it's that. Independent, isn't it? If you uh, if you have a very competent player that does find hands that they can bluff with in this spot. Then, um, then I suppose you have to just pay it off. But yeah, maybe in this setting, the the villain just always has it, and you can uh, you can find a hero fold. Mm. It'd be a really tough one, and if anyone makes a fold like this, then hats off to you. I don't think I would uh, feel like folding that. I'm and guessing. I'm guessing our our hero calls. I'm still tanking. He d- he says he did think about it, um, <laughs> and he just couldn't ignore the pot odds, and you know yeah. he, he felt like it. He very much as we've described, uh, he he had to make the call, and he did make the call, and his opponent did turn over. Ace Any guesses? Ace, five. Ace six, Ace five. Oh, Ace eight. Ace I don't know. Is this the type of player that might even three bet the pocket sevens? It wasn't pocket sevens, it was A7 suited. A7 suited, okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. Which is probably the most logical hand, I think. Yeah, I can't fault him. See, betting flop, checking back turn, and then obviously you have to go all in when you make the straight. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah, it's uh, just a tough, <laughs> tough spot. Uh, yeah. What about here, the villain's play? You think see, bet flop is the right play? Um, or do you think that there's a possibility he could sometimes check that back with Ace Seven? Yeah, I think I think it's uh, fine to mix up what you do here. Um, you're gonna often want to bet this flop as the three better, right? So your opponent is gonna have a lot of hands. They're gonna have flush draws, straight draws. Um, you know, you can even have a hand like pocket tens, pocket jacks that they're gonna have to continue with. So you want to still get value from those hands. And then, as you saw the villain did he, you're able to check back turns mm. so i think it still makes sense for him to bet here yeah um yeah i i, I can't really fault with how he played it yeah um the, i did stick this in po solver and it preferred checking 
backflop as the villain, but it, it certainly didn't object to the bet. So it was a mixed strategy, as you yep. rightly suggest. Uh, so good. Yeah, that was great. Thanks, mm. Brandon, for that one. Um, yeah, nice. Nice hand. Uh, we'll take one last quick break here and we'll come back faster than Phil Helmuth can shove his chips in when he gets shoved on with the nuts <laughs> on the post Pop Poker podcast. And welcome back again. We're in our final stretch of this episode. We're talking with Dane Blatt, a uh, wonderful, I, I'd like to say, up-and-coming Australian gr uh, grinder. Uh, I think you've already come up to a fair faster. level. I'm already mm -hmm. in my 30s. There's some uh, very talented young 20, you know, mid-to-early-20-year-olds that are on the scene. Yeah, but I, I just I don't know. I just have this feeling that there's a, there's there's bigger even bigger and better things uh, oh, on the way. And that, that's why I'm saying up and coming. Like, uh, even though you're, you're already up there, <laughs> but you're still coming up even more. Let's see so, what, let's see what yeah. you did there. Hopefully, hopefully <laughs> the run good hasn't ended yet. No, I'd, I'd say it definitely hasn't. And, and just being in the right place at the right time, you were you were there to film that, uh, the Shoegate incident. Uh, I was, yeah. How was that? That guy was yeah. crazy. I assume that made it to you two. You, you, you yeah. saw it on Twitter yeah. or something. Yeah. So just explain for the listeners that haven't seen it. Uh, or maybe Ben can put a link in the um, uh, in the show notes. Yeah. yeah. So that, uh, anyone that hasn't seen it. Uh, well, I guess I'll give a bit of context. I was uh, playing the $10,000 WSOP main event in Las Vegas. And uh, we were in the second level. And then I hear someone on the table next to me uh, shouting that they're going all in blind. I'm all in blind. I'm all in blind. And I thought, oh, maybe this is uh, something worth recording. But my intention was only just to send to a couple of friends. And, um, yeah, what eventuated, I could have never really imagined in my wildest dreams. He, uh, he was all in blind. Um, they, they actually got the reporting of the hand a little wrong. Um so I have like insight into what actually happened in the hand as well. But yeah, the, the cliffs were that he went all in blind and tabled his hand being queen three offsuit. He then proceeded to take his shorts off and take his shoes and socks off, which I've never really seen happen in the poker room quite like this. And he threw his shoe on the table and uh, quite that, a bit towards, of dealer, wasn't it? It was towards yeah, the dealer. Yeah, uh, you know, I was, I was there. I think he was just throwing it on the table to okay. be funny. I don't think he was actually maliciously throwing it at someone, but I think he got in trouble for, for that act of that it could have caused harm to a player or the dealer. Um, yeah, and what actually happened was someone had limped in front of him. Uh, it folds around to the big blind who has pocket fives, and they think for a while, and they end up folding. I think the reporting said that they called. He didn't call, he folded. And then the player that limped, he can see that this crazy opponent has queen three offsuit. He's all in for a hundred thousand. You start with 60,000. So he'd actually built up his chips a little. And, uh, the guy who the action was on ends up folding ACE three suited face up. So he could see that he was a big favorite against the queen three and he still oh, didn't want to take gotta make the call. Oh. I, my hands on my head and I said, what are you doing? I couldn't, couldn't help myself. But, uh, I yeah, mean, and then I, the, I know it's the main event, and you don't want to bust that early. Exactly. But oh. I actually don't know who played it worse. The guy that I mean, yeah. the queen. Oh, 
he actually was able to steal the blind, so maybe his play wasn't that bad. I mean, <laughs> if he had ace four suited or something, oh my then God, may maybe. But ace three suited, I mean, oh. To get 3,000 in the main event, in the second level, you can't, you, no one's edge is that great to pass on an opportunity like that. Correct. Uh, yeah. I think the player was a bit scared of losing all his chips, you know, in this way. He's given away that, you know, you can just push him all in and he's folding everything. Yeah. Your opponents have gone all in for like 350 big blinds or something. So uh, I think the moment got to him a little. Yeah. And uh, yeah, he was escorted out five minutes later, disqualified, $10,000 down the drain. And his chips and, couldn't uh, be won. His chips couldn't be won. They were taken out of play. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. I, th I, uh, I uh, thought I'd just friend send it to my mate Scott, and uh, he didn't really even give me an option. He's like, this has to go on Twitter. And he proceeded to post my video on Twitter. Within an hour, it had 100,000 views. So wow. uh, I was saying to people on the table what was going on, and, yeah, we could see that the video just went viral instantly. And um, then from that... He actually went to another casino, the Luxor, a bit later, and he went <laughs> off the table and he got naked on there. And and uh, that video got like triple the amount of views that mine got. So, uh, yeah, he, uh, this guy had quite the day. <laughs> Big day out playing poker. Yeah, really. I mean, getting new. Actually, apparently, I haven't seen this, but apparently my video made it onto the ESPN coverage of the main event and they were talking about it there. So, yeah. Oh. Uh, yeah, I haven't I haven't received any royalties or anything for my for my video. <laughs> Joe Ingram did a, a video where he commentates and uh, uses my footage, but he gave me a bit of credit, so I was all right with that. Yeah, yeah. Well, Joe Joe would always do the right thing as far as giving credit. credit <laughs> to you. Um, ESPN, you know, you're on notice now. Uh, Dean's looking for some royalties. So yeah, I mean, not everyone would have uh, captured the moment quite like I did. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so that was that was really uh unexpected and uh the rest of the trip it actually come up you know and i'd be at a different casino just in the bathroom and i'd hear two guys talking about oh did you hear about that guy that like <laughs> got naked during the poker tournament and i just have to be like oh you know i was actually the guy that videoed it um so that happened 20 30 times throughout the rest yeah. of the trip. um friends back home that don't even really follow poker i'm in like a whatsapp group with them someone you know posted it and you know they were shocked to hear that i was the one that the videoed it so yeah my, I, feel, uh, I feel a little bit of guilt because uh you know what happens in vegas stays in vegas i don't oh, know if this yeah, but... wanted everyone to see this footage but uh i mean he's, he's doing that in front of how many people he's got to expect that it's going to come out the guy i mean he, he wanted the attention, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. There were a lot of people thinking there was a prop bet or something on the line. It did, they couldn't really make sense of why he was doing it. Um, yeah, but well, I, I'd be lying if I didn't say I felt a little bit of guilt. But, you know, it uh, it's one of those things that just had to be put out there for the poker community to see. For sure. No, no, you don't need to feel guilty. I was quite quite offended by the guy folding the ace three, though. That, that offends oh, me. Uh, I don't. I don't think that guy should be able to sleep ever again. <laughs> it was. It was something. It was something. I mean, you have these conversations with people uh, in the main event or leading up to it. Like, would you fold aces pre? You know, is your edge big enough if like seven people went all in in front of you and you have pocket aces? I mean, would you call? If there was like a couple of active players behind or something, then then maybe I'd, I'd give him 
a little bit more credit, but he was closing the action, right? He was last to act. So why? I just don't get that. <laughs> I, I'm going to imagine it's like his first time playing the main event. Yeah, yeah. He needed the experience. Yeah. Do you really want to put your chips in in the second level and get knocked out? I'm guessing that's what was going through his head. Um, yeah. Nothing else really sure. makes sense. It'd, it'd make for a terrible bad beat story, wouldn't it? Like, you know, the guy turns his hands over. I can see what he's got. He then takes his shoe off and throws it on the table. I called and got knocked out. To me, it's like the best game. bad beat story you could ever <laughs> yeah, tell. True. Like, true. I'm, I'm calling, like, uh, you know, I talk about it, but I, I filmed a video of this local at Crown um, who goes by Miyagi. Um, yes. And, uh, yeah, I videoed the hand because I was trying to slow roll him with aces. And he ended up beating me in the hand. And the resulting video is infinitely better than I could have ever imagined because he's so happy and the whole table's laughing. Yeah. I mean, sometimes you want, like, a good bad beat story to tell people. No, yeah. you're right. I mean, if that guy it. had called and, and lost with his ace three, oh, he, would, he would be one of the most oh, famous. Yeah. It would have been one of the most famous bad beat stories ever. And he'd have been the star. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Not yeah. quite the star, but. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and before before we uh, let you go, I also need to talk about the uh, the beard. Now, for those that haven't seen uh, Dean, he has got quite a healthy beard. Thank I, you. I think glorious. Ned- I when people refer to her as glorious, but healthy will will glorious, survive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not being a bearded uh, one myself, I'm not too aware of the you know, yeah. Well, I actually have to, you know, give a bit of credit to. I don't know if he's the type that would ever listen to this, but Daniel Nielsen has been on the Australian scene a while. He has a really nice beard. And, um, yeah, I just had a bit of beard envy and thought, let's see what we can do. And, uh, yeah, you know, some some people close to me uh, in the family and friends have mixed opinions on whether I should keep it or not. So we put it to the fans on Twitter. And uh, the beard... For a while there, no beard was leading in the poll, but uh, the beard won. So I, I think uh, I think it's going to have to stay for a little while. Actually, we're, we're not hooked up, Dean. What's your Twitter handle? Um, you know what? I actually just changed it recently. I've been known as Blatt's Mullet for as long as I can remember. Mm. But uh, the mullet is the thing of the past. We're now uh, Deanie's, Deanie's Beard. Deanie's yeah. Beard. So we're, we're trying to, you know create a new persona all uh, revolving around the beard i think yeah it's so it's at d-e-a-n-i-e-b-e-a-r-d i'm not the great greatest follow on twitter i just uh retweet some funny videos that i see and oh, uh cool. usually just troll scott davies whenever he posts something <laughs> but, uh, yeah it's, uh, I'll, I'm, I'm trying to be a little more active like i i really I was excited uh, to have a bit of a chin wag with you two, and uh, this is this has gone really great. I appreciate you guys having me on. That's yeah, pleasure. Nice. Thanks very much for being with us. I've always uh, actually been quite shy, and uh, just my recent trip to Vegas sort of opened my eyes to the opportunities you get at the poker table. You get to meet a lot of interesting people, and uh, you know it. It's worth your while. You know, you, a lot of the time you, you're not involved in the hand. You don't really need to think about much. Mm. Um, and yeah, you might as well use your time to, to meet more people. And, uh, yeah, I've, I've really enjoyed chatting and, uh, hearing you guys at work. Yeah. <laughs> yes. 
Yeah, great. Well, as, as always, uh, you can get in touch with us on our website, postfloppoker.com. Uh, you can get all of our previous episodes there. And if you love the show, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at postfloppoker and send us some tweet and love. That would be fantastic. Uh, you can also support the show by writing us a review on your favorite podcast platform. And check out Preflop Plus, a new offline poker range tool app. It's free to download from your app store and check it out. Once you've downloaded it, no internet connections needed. There's Nash charts for shoves and callings, training options, an equity calculator, poker math section on combinatorics, um, and it's a great app. Just try the free version um, or subscribe for as little as five bucks a month. Um, yeah, that's Preflop Plus with the plus sign available from your app store. So, um, yeah, thanks again, uh, Dean, for coming on. It's been fantastic. I'm so glad we finally got to, to have a chat here. And, um, yeah, I'll be looking forward to, to seeing you more in person. Yeah, no worries. I think you've uh, you've got a new fan of the show. I'm going to have to work out how to uh, use iTunes to get – does the podcast come through on iTunes? Is that it correct? It certainly does, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'll uh, start spreading the word that uh, you two have uh, some good content here. Fantastic. Thank you. And um, yeah, best of luck in all of those, uh, well, all the next tournaments you'll play. And I'll hopefully catch up with you at uh, Aussie Millions in yeah. January, if not before. Thanks, guys. All the best. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, Dean. And, and uh, I'll catch up with you in, uh, well, it won't be a couple of weeks, Ben. Actually, in real time, it, it won't be a couple of weeks, but uh, in podcast time, it may be in a couple of weeks. <laughs> Is that cryptic enough? <laughs> You're going away, basically. I'm ben. going away, so we're, we're pre-recording one. That's right. And it'll be re released whilst I'm on holiday. Yes, yes. Some listeners won't know that, uh, so we'll keep it keep it quiet. That's uh, not uh, a secret. Uh, <laughs> great. Well, have a fantastic rest of your day or evening, everyone, everywhere and everywhere you may be. I'm Merv Astro247 Harvey, and we'll see you all next time with another episode of the Postflop Poker Podcast. And for all our Isle of Man listeners who speak the Manx language, including our previous host, shout out Scott, Banak Liu. And for the rest of us, bye for now. Yeah, I've got no idea if that's uh, if, if I got the Manx accent correct. <laughs> yeah, that, that was a curveball. I didn't really understand what you said <laughs> at all. Uh, can you do it one more time, Mo? <laughs> the two words or the whole yeah, thing? The yeah, whole no, thing? just the two words. Banak Liu. Yeah, I reckon you butchered that. <laughs> all right. Banak Liu. Yeah, that sounded much better. Game over.